Blog Talk Radio. Good evening. My name is Ryan Miner. You are listening to A Minor Detail on the Change Montgomery County Radio Network. Yes, I am Ryan Miner. I am your host. And you are listening to a show tonight about the Charleston shooting. And I was putting together this show, and uh, you know, I had a lot of different topics swirling around in my mind about what I wanted to do with this. And I usually try to do shows that are specific to Montgomery County. And I felt that this this was an opportunity to discuss uh, so much of what we have been seeing and watching unfold in the last week. Um, of course, last Thursday, we all woke up to the terrible news of an unimaginable tragedy after a racist, let's just say that, he was a racist 21-year-old gunman who walked into a church, sat down for a Bible study, and murdered nine people in cold blood during a prayer service, a weekly Bible and prayer service. And I, you know, and in the aftermath of the shooting, it's once again we think that we're making these small incremental movements and 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 sowing the wounds of racism, but not quite. Unfortunately, I mean, this has ignited a national conversation about white supremacy. We're talking about the, the Confederate flag. We're talking about issues that are longstanding. And, you know, I think that, that tonight on this show, we're going to really get to the, the bottom of this. And I'm not going to pull any punches because um, I, I really want to get to, I really, really want to get to the heart and soul of what this tragedy means, what it means for race relations, what this Confederate flag issue means. And I, I think that, look, I, I mean, we, we have to talk about this as a nation. And Maryland, and especially Montgomery County, it's a microcosm of the United States. Montgomery County is hugely diverse, and part of what we want to do and accomplish with this show, uh, we want to bring issues directly to the people in an an alternative format, a new media format, and we we want to have an honest discussion. That's the point of this show. I mean, I, I, I try to be as candid as possible, and I try to bring these issues to the surface and dig beneath and have our guests, and we're going to have a few guests. We're going to have Mark Brown. We're going to have Pastor Exum, and we're going to. I'm sure. I'm hoping that other people will call in and be able to contribute, um, because I think this is important. We got to talk about these issues as a country. We have to talk about these issues as a nation. And I want this to be an interactive show. If you're listening now, our phone number is six four six seven one six five nine seven one. I'm I'm controlling, I'm the producer of the show, so if you call in and you want to talk, please call in, express your opinion. This is going to be a wide-ranging show, but we, before we begin, I know we have a caller on the line. Uh, I, I want to start with offering a thought about Governor Hogan, who announced uh, yesterday, two days ago that he was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's form of uh, cancer um, in in. He he came out and did a press conference, and I just want to say that uh, to Governor Hogan, uh, we love you. We're we're praying for you. We got your back, Governor. The whole state is behind you, and we know that it's going to be a struggle. And every moment of the way, you can count on us because we're going to be standing right behind you. And we know that you are a fighter. You are a courageous man. You have beaten incredible odds before, and every day when you know that the going gets tough, just know that you have all of Maryland behind you, ready for you to be reinvigorated, ready for you to come back swinging, and ready for you to continue to do the great job that you're doing. And no matter what, we're going to be standing behind you, and it's true. We are Hogan Strong, and uh, you know I, I hope that we say a prayer for you. I hope all Marylanders say a prayer. We're going to be doing a prayer vigil on Sunday evening, um, I think at 6 o'clock. Delegate Rick Metzger from Baltimore County is going to be uh, he's going to be facilitating that along with a few other people. So um, I encourage you to attend. But uh, I also want to pray for Boyd Rutherford, who is now stepping into a new role. Uh, and Boyd needs our prayers because uh, he needs the strength to be able to, to feel uh, the roles and to become uh, – he already is, but of course – uh, he needs extra prayers as he is uh, 
working with Governor Hogan and stepping in where Governor Hogan cannot be there. So, again, we are we are with you. I'm going to bring in my callers. Um, I'm going to start with uh, – I'm assuming that Mark and Pastor Exum are on the line. Mark, is that you? Yeah, Mark is here. Hey, Mark, is is the pastor on with us as well? Yes, I'm here. Hey, guys, welcome to the show. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. I know – that we scheduled this somewhat last minute, but um, we had a show uh, a few months ago about the Baltimore City riots, and we, we we had talked in length about that, and I just think that we had such a great conversation, and I think that this is another opportunity for us to talk in depth about these issues. So it's going to be us, and I'm hoping some other people call in, but we'll kick this right off. And as I said in the show, at the beginning of the show, that this was, again, another unimaginable tragedy, but now this time it took on a new depth, a new layer, and it had race. Race was involved, it, and it was clearly a troubled, deeply troubled young person that had a, a, a mindset that he was going to go into a church full of people or, or a, a, a prayer service or a Bible study and commit an unimaginable atrocity. And, you know, Pastor Axum, I want to start with you. Being a pastor, being someone who leads prayer and and a a church, and uh, you are the shepherd to the flock. Um, We woke up to this news last week. Um, It was last Thursday, I remember, because I woke up around 5.30 and I started seeing um, on my Twitter feed, which I usually read first thing in the morning, that this had happened the night before. And, you know, I... What it was just a shock because it's like when is this when are these incidents going to stop in this country? And I want to get your thoughts. I mean, walk us through when you first heard the news. What were you experiencing? Well, uh, like like yourself, uh, I received uh, news of what happened uh, in South Carolina uh, via my uh, Twitter feed, also, um, and it was also early in the morning and. Um, I I just thought about my normal routines on uh, Wednesday, uh, which consist of uh, preparation for um, my church's uh, prayer service, Edmondson Heights uh, Seventh-day Adventist Church in uh, Edmondson Village, which is uh, in Baltimore, Maryland, Baltimore City, Maryland. And um, just preparing uh, throughout the day for that service, uh, which is a Bible study, uh, on the back half um, as a testimony slash uh, prayer service, uh, the first 30 minutes. And um, I, I I think about how I thought about how our church is an open place uh, where we accept anybody uh, to come in, whatever uh, condition uh, that, that they're in, and how sometimes we have visitors, uh, we welcome visitors, we solicit visitors, uh, we go throughout the community inviting individuals, uh, in their varying states of uh, mental health, of religious stability, wherever they are in life, we invite them. And I just, uh, when I saw and read about uh, this congregation, I thought about uh, about my my church, um, right. which averages between uh, 35 to 40 individuals for for that uh, particular service. That that could have that that could have been us. And I I don't I don't want to sound selfish uh, when I say that, but uh, any any congregation in this nation uh, that 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 holds um, open religious services uh, that that could definitely uh, be us. And I thought about my my young family, my two boys, my wife yeah. um, who attend the service with me, and that that could have been any any one of us um, um, in, in in Wednesday service. Um, I thought about my calling to the people, how we serve people, um, even though we know that things like this can happen and that they will happen. We pray that they will not, but we know uh, the world in which we live in, uh, the state of affairs, uh, everything that's going on around us, that this could happen to any congregation uh, at any time, and that immediately hit me. It it hit me. I mean, I, I woke up, and, you know, it's... It's really hard to talk about because not only have has this episode, this just indelibly black moment on our nation's history, have struck a chord, but it also it, it, it has brought up so many other issues. And uh, as far as race, as far as where we're standing 
are in, in this world as far as where we the movement since um, the Civil War on race and all these issues have been brought back to the surface. But you know, I want to go back to the very human element. When I woke up, I thought, you know, I'm. I, I don't I, I don't usually participate in a weekly Bible Bible service um, on a Wednesday evening. I know many churches throughout our country uh, they do hold these services, and I, I haven't gone to one for probably since uh, a few years ago, or maybe even college. But you think about your family, you think about the lives that were lost, and you think about you, you have these people that are gathered, and you have this young man who walks in sits next to the pastor who was invited in, and as churches routinely do, they, they invite people in to share in the love of Christ. They share in the love of one another and that fellowship to discuss the Bible, the good book that lays out the way, the truth, and the life. And here we are, this young man sits there for an hour, and then he uses his gun to to, to kill innocent people that he's probably never met in his life, that he has no idea. I mean, he, he destroyed so much life in just, what, 20 minutes, 10 minutes? And it's it's really hard for me to wrap that around because you think of your kids. You think, we could have been there. You could have been there. Anybody. It could have been us. It could have been anybody. But it wasn't us. And then it brought on this new, this this other flavor of race that this kid, this young man, this person had in his heart that he had to kill people because of some just ridiculous, awful, evil concoction of racial hatred that is boiling up inside of him that have compelled him to do this. And Mark Brown, just as the pastor just expressed, when when you first heard of the news, what, what were your thoughts? What were you thinking at this time? Well, I, uh, I too had, had just spent time the night before in a group very similar to this, uh, probably about the same number of people. And, uh, you know, just as the pastor said, um, you know, we intentionally um, create an environment that, that welcomes people in. And uh, I, I immediately thought about the, the uh, dichotomy that exists between what it is we seek to do and then in an environment like this, uh, what we may feel compelled to do to for, from a protection uh, point of view, and 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 the, the the two sort of clash against each other, and and so in that moment when I heard what took place, uh, there was this collision of of these two things, and and I immediately tried to think about how do we justify, you know, these two uh, these two realities. So it it is a um, it's a frightening thing yeah. uh, to know that that we. We try to establish this kind of open form, and yet we have to do it in in the context of these kind of uh, threats. So uh, it, it 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 frightened me. It it um, it it made me consider uh, those that we are reaching out to. We don't. We often don't know uh, what their mindset is, what their experience has been, and yet we still hope that what we offer can somehow. Um, change the tide or, or shift uh, their their experience towards something more positive. But we see that often as this young man sat for an hour in that setting and, and it, he still went forward with what he did. So it just, it just, uh, it, it really was a, a shock to the system. That it, this, it these was, are the realities that we have to function within. I mean, the reality that we live in an open society that, uh, and um, there's many elements, and we'll start with. So we have the the violence element, and in the last six or seven years, and even maybe, I guess starting with, st- starting with the for for me, I'm 29, and the the mass violence, the gun violence, uh, where we see these mass atrocities perpetuated against innocent people. For me, it started when I was in about eighth grade, and it was started with Columbine. When you had people, when you had uh, the the, the two, ma- two uh, high school students who walked in and killed several of their high school classmates, and then you have you, you, you fast forward to you know 15 years later, and then you have the Arizona shooting um, in Tucson where Gabby Giffords was shot 
uh, in the head by a seemingly crazed individual. Um, and then you have the the unimaginable, unspeakable tragedy that will that will forever affect me uh, in, in, in so many different ways was the Sandy Hook when um, Adam Lanza walked in and killed 26 people. You know, they, they, they killed innocent children in a classroom where they feel most safe, where they should feel safe. And, and then you have uh, the, the, uh, the, the Colorado shooting uh, in the movie theater. And there seems to be a pattern in this. And we, in the aftermath of every tragedy, I believe this country looks for reasons why. Why does this happen? What is the, what is the answer? And I don't think that there's any one answer. But we have a – I don't want to say we have greater clarity in this shooting and in this instance, but we at least understand the motivations, and we want to understand so we can make it stop. We want it to stop, so we, under, we try to apply every given scenario to these situations to unwind the details, to understand the facts, and make it stop. And, Pastor, when you were watching this – and when they caught this young man, and then when when it when all the details started filtering in about his racial hatred, his the reason why he chose this church. What do you think about that? What what was your thoughts that as it regards race? What does it mean for race relations in this nation as it stands? Well, um, I, I have to start by saying that I that I appreciate uh, the fact that um, you have uh, read up on the topic. You've um, you've seen and read uh, what the individual uh, said his motivation behind what was going on, uh, what what they were, and it was uh, it was uh, to to spark racial tension uh, in this state and also in the country to sort of. Uh, and I believe, almost in his own words, is uh, again a, a race war uh, in the United States. Um, some people have tried to make um, the this, this shooting out to be uh, an attack on religion, and it it was not a re- uh, an attack on on religion. It was an attack uh, on a, a particular race of people in uh, in our in our country. Um, I just. Uh, I just immediately thought that um, in the face of of these types of tragedies that the church has to still remain uh, vulnerable, vulnerable to these type of attacks. Our our churches should not be uh, huge fortresses where they keep out individuals that are not like-minded with the group that's inside the church. It has to be, it has to be open. It has to be vulnerable in this way, and I, I'm not saying that um, that that churches should not um, have security guards or anything like that. I, I'm just saying, as far as being open to accept uh, people at varying walks of life, in um, I, I, I immediately have, have uh, thought about that um, since yeah. the days that it happened, and, and every day since um, that our church has to remain. Uh, vulnerable uh, in these types of situations. A question for both of you, gentlemen, Mark and uh, Pastor Exum. Are you familiar with the the history of this church as it dates back to, um, you know, 100 100 or 150 years ago all the way up through the civil rights era? At at this time, when I had first heard about the shooting in in the name of the church, uh, I was not aware of the the history uh, that it has in South Carolina, and being in the, the pastoral community, um, are you were you both were you familiar with this pastor? Have you ever met uh, the gentleman who was murdered um, by by Dylan Roof? Uh, are you familiar uh, with with this church? I, I wasn't I wasn't familiar with uh, the pastor or the church. Until I read about the tragedy, um, since then I've, I've I've read several articles about its connection with the civil rights movement, um, about uh, the way it was a, a 
a platform uh, for the city of uh, Charleston, South Carolina, and, and even the state uh, as far as being a place where uh, Martin King was able to come and, and speak in, um, in different uh, aspects of the uh, vote, voting act uh, took place in this, in this particular church. Um, I, I was really astounded uh, with, with, with this church's uh, uh, place in history, and um, I'm, not, I'm not completely sure if uh, the young man understood this church's uh, place in history, but it almost appears as if it was hand-selected because of, uh, of its uh, historical uh, significance and what he was trying to do. Uh, right. But I wasn't familiar with either the pastor uh, or the congregation before this event. Uh, Mark, I was not as well. I, I was not familiar, but I read several articles where uh, he had told, this young man had told his friends that he was planning to do uh, something and that he ultimately chose, I think it was originally supposed to be a college campus of some sorts, but then it, it turned out where he selected this church. And what does it say about this person's state of mind when you sit next to someone for an hour while they are discussing the Bible, do you think that not only could this be a, not only obviously racially motivated, which it was, um, and, and we'll, we'll get to more of the motivations later in this show, but do you think that there is a mental health issue as well, Mark Brown? I, I think it... Uh... It obviously does point to some deep-seated uh, emotional uh, turmoil that was uh, existing in this person. Uh, I, of course, am not a psychologist, but uh, when I consider just from a human nature point of view uh, what it would take to uh, to plan something like this and then to sit in the presence of the very people that you intend to uh, murder, and, and to carry it out, that it, it, it goes beyond what, you know, from just from my perspective, what an average person, uh, it, it, it does point to um, the need for um, some, some direct uh, attention to that area where uh, signs and symptoms are recognized and even just the culture of, of family and friends reporting uh, suspicious uh, activity. I think that would have made a significant difference if his friends, instead of sitting before the camera after this happened, would have made a call before this happened. And I think all of us need to be more vigilant about what we see, the behavior we see of those around us, and, and doing something about it. I think a an educational campaign to heighten the awareness and the need for us to to look out for one another is something that I think would have made a difference here. When we go into our churches, we we should feel that we we are with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and you, we typically should feel most at home, most secure, most safe. And you wouldn't think that we're at the point of our history where we have to have people that are literally watching the doors, armed in case something like this should happen, and. When these situations do happen, there's so many different uh, theories applied to why it has happened. Why did this person make the decision to do what he did? And I think some people were first reluctantly uh, unwilling to explore that this was racially tinged, racially motivated. And the more that I read, the more that I read, I, you know, I'm I'm not someone that likes to jump to conclusions, but it obviously was. It was most definitely racially motivated that this man has a problem with African Americans. He believes that somehow that the black that that African Americans or the black culture is overtaking his warped sense of whatever white supremacy. And I think that this this person has has a serious misconception of the world. And like we said, there was one thing where. You can harbor these feelings, but it's another to act on them. And now we're past the point of no return, where nine people are dead, thousands of lie are, and it's not just it doesn't just rest with the people who were killed, but their families, their friends, 
and their their cousins, aunts, and uncles. There's there's thousands of lives that have been affected, and and it's just it's absolutely tragic. Uh, and I want to bring in. I have another caller on the line, and I'm going to bring this person in. And I'm assuming that my caller is Jason. Is that you, Jason? Last I checked. Okay, Jason, I want to welcome you to the show. We're on here with Mark Brown and Pastor Exum, and we're, we're, we're talking about the Charleston shooting. And, Jason, I know you've been following this uh, because I've seen that you've posted some uh, informative and thought-provoking articles and opinions on social media. So, Jason, what is so far, what is your perspective? Well, this is this is actually pretty unique for the recent history. I'm, I'm obviously not going back to the civil rights era. I'm, I'm ending it recent before or after that. But uh, this this is pretty unique. It's not a typical mass shooting. Typical mass shooters tend to be blitz attackers. They tend to show up. They tend to start shooting. And as soon as they're confronted or they're afraid that they're about to be confronted, they commit suicide. This guy, th- this guy, it really was more of a, a terrorist attack in that, you know, he had a specific agenda. Most mass shooters don't. He had specific objectives. Most mass shooters, the only objective is to kill as many people as possible before committing suicide. And he fled. He didn't commit suicide. Uh, right. So it's, it's a it's a very unique thing for today. So um, most people, I'm not a church attender, but most people who attend church, it, this does not change the calculus for whether or not you need to be concerned about anything. This is this is getting hit by lightning three or four times in a row while walking down the street. This is this is something that that has happened. Obviously, it could happen. But in a nation of 320 million over the last 20-some-plus years, there hasn't been this kind of attack on a, on a minority community, on a black community, or on a religious community in the United States. Uh, obviously, in the Middle East and elsewhere, it's, it's bigger, but those are, those are differently motivated. This was clearly racism. This was clearly white supremacy. This was clearly uh, the kind of thing that you would expect from... Uh, post-Civil War Klansmen. Right. Um, and and it, it's kind of, if, if, if on that note, it's kind of a historical anachronism. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a tragedy, of course, that nine people are dead. It's always a tragedy when nine people who should not, who, who didn't die naturally at old age surrounded by family. Um, and, but it's not the kind of thing where you need to start thinking about changing the calculus, do I need security, do I need armed guards, do I need whatever, it's not, and and I want to, I'm emphasizing this deliberately, it's not the kind of thing that you need to adapt to because it is a singular, unique event. And you've seen from the reaction in South Carolina, you've seen from the reaction nationally, it's been one of just outright disgust and, and horror that somebody could come in and like I said, I'm, I'm not religious, but I understand how a, how a Bible study works. Um, and it's a very personal, personal event, especially in a group that small. To maintain the, the mission for, over the course of an hour is, is just, it, it just goes to zealotry. I mean, this is, this is a kid who for some reason just hated black people. It's, it's that right. simple. Well, let me. That's, that's all it comes down to. Let's build into the new segment, and as this is a good uh, segue into the latter half of our show. Uh, so, there, a lot has happened since um, in the form of the reaction, public policy, and uh, I want to understand. There's there's been the elements of this Confederate flag debate, and I'm sure that. Mark Brown and Pastor Exum and Jason, we've all seen probably uh, somebody talking about this in the last week. And the Confederate flag has now become a symbol of what had happened. And I want to start with you, Pastor. It's been dropped. The Confederate flag has now been, uh, is now going to be removed uh, from 
the the South Carolina capital uh at the urgence of the governor, the two state senators. Uh what are your thoughts on that? Uh I I I appreciate uh the the gesture of removing the symbol from uh the South Carolina uh, state Capitol building, and I also believe uh, that the state of Alabama uh, has joined that group or plans to join that group uh, with removing uh, the Confederate flag from its uh, from its uh, state capitol grounds, which is a uh, a huge uh, step uh, in the right to, uh, direction as far as that symbol is concerned. Um, I am also surprisingly um, disappointed. Uh, that we're spending so much time in talking about the symbol of racism than actually talking about racism itself. Um, the the wedding ring, the symbol of the marriage. The marriage is, of course, the uh, most important piece. The wedding band, of course, being the symbol of what uh, marriage is. Uh, is it important? Of course it is. I believe that most individuals, if you were married and your spouse walks out, and they don't want to wear a wedding band or they uh, uh, take it on and off or whether they're around some company to wear it. Or not. it. It can become a very touchy thing because the symbol does matter. However, it's not as important as the marriage itself. The flag is important. It is effective uh, to many African-Americans, people of color, uh, because it's almost a slap uh, in the face for what America stands for uh, and what we've gone through. It's a, it's a source of pain of hurt, of anguish, uh, but the more painful thing is the racism that we've been dealing with, uh, the classism, the separatism uh, that we've dealt with, uh, even in talk, uh, talking about on this uh, particular call-in uh, radio show uh, the, the past few weeks. Um, if if we were to deal with the, the more important matters of the racism, the symbol would disappear, uh, But but the heart's and the minds of individuals have not changed. So the symbol, uh, though it may be removed from state buildings, it will still very much hang in the hearts uh, of those who believe uh, that this type of uh, behavior, uh, behavior, this separatism, this uh, classism, is something that's welcome in America. Mark Brown, uh, some people would also say that taking down the the confederate flag or at least removing it from government property or refusing to acknowledge it and re- relegating the flag to a history museum as some politicians uh have have suggested that it is ignoring the fact that it has another meaning that it is the south heritage that it's not doesn't inherently represent racism or that it does not necessarily represent um African American struggle, but instead it means it's a it's a symbol of the South that and 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 it's and you see people now posting pictures of African Americans holding the Confederate flag. What would you say to that argument? I think the uh, the symbolism of the Confederate flag has been uh, clearly defined, uh, even if it was unintentional. Um, for some, it, it may have a uh, a cultural or historical reference to, you know, their ancestry in the South, but it has taken on this symbol um, that that to a, a negative uh, time in our, our history as a nation. Uh, for for us as African Americans, um, and and for myself in particular, growing up in in Southern Virginia, in the rural part of of Virginia. I have seen uh, how it has been used and what it means. And so regardless of the higher or loftier meanings of the flag, um, for, for for me and for many who've lived in that era, in those areas, it, it the meaning, uh, it cannot be be shined or, or made to look pretty. It just has a negative connotation. Right. So for that reason, um, there are many who have experienced the you know the negative aspect of 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 the the racial experience of the south and it will always have a negative connotation for us and as the governor said that um because 
these um, public displays in, in a state that represents all people that she has to consider, we have to consider the impact that it has in a global sense and, and, and have to respond to try and make sure that uh, it does not offend. And so uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm in agreement with the movement uh, of the, the removal of the flag, but I also understand what, what the pastor was saying. We have to get to the source of the matter, and that is that we really have to look at our hearts and make sure that, that, it, that racism is dealt with. I under I absolutely and the source is and the point of this show is getting to the bat getting to the root cause of these issues, unwinding the aftermath of uh the, the tragedy that happened on last Wednesday. And I want to I, I want to say this that many people do fly or many people will still hold the the flag uh it, it, on their personal property or they may have symbolism on their vehicles and I don't I mean and this is me personally speaking that I don't think that it's government's role to tell anybody who has it on their personal property to remove it or whatnot, but we're talking strictly to what our government represents now and that's why there has been such a a movement abounding to remove the Confederate flag. And you saw today I think Alabama's going to go through with it and yesterday Larry Hogan he tweeted out I'm I'm gonna read this to you that he says, I'm, I'm against the use of the Confederate flag on Maryland license plates. We're working with the MVA and the AGs to address this issue. AAP and Pastor, actually, do you think that's the right move from Larry Hogan? Uh, in light of what we're seeing from uh, other states, I, I do appreciate uh, what, our, what our government is doing uh, to align himself with the times and with uh, the the sentiment of of the other states um, that are that are uh, are neighboring ours, I I I, I do appreciate uh, what's being done. Like yourself, I I don't believe it's the government's role uh, to state uh, what a person can do with their private property. Uh, how, however, the, the license plate uh, is the property of the state, and so you know that's that's definitely the right move uh, uh, to go. The, the the government has the right to say. Uh, what they're going to allow on on their um, on their license plates. I I want to bring in Jason. Are you still with us? Yeah, I'm still here. Okay, Jason, you you've seen the debate, and um, some people, uh, you know, I I'm a I'm a self-identified Republican and uh, unashamed of that. And but I have seen some debate on our side. When I say our side, I mean the Republican side, um, who have been critical of. Uh, Governor Hogan, now that he has made this call, have been critical of Nikki Haley and been critical of others, uh, other politicians who have called for the flag to come down. I know even Republican, former Republican presidential candidate and the Republican nominee in 2012, Mitt Romney, he came out, uh, I think it was on Saturday, and said that the Confederate flag needs to be taken down from South Carolina to honor the Charleston victims. What, what is your perspective? The, the it's it technically and I've been lectured on this for several days now. It's the battle flag of the Army of Northern Virginia, but it's everybody knows it is a Confederate flag. So just right. let's dismiss the technical point and say this is a slaver's flag. There's some revisionist history that well it wasn't real. The, the Civil War wasn't really about slavery. Just they were talking about slavery an awful lot, but it was really about say slave or states' rights to own slaves or uh, a state's uh, self-determination to determine whether or not to deny other people self-determination. You know, no matter which procedural path you want to take, you still get to the core issue that, that, that the Civil War was fought to, to or was started by the Confederacy to defend the institution of slavery. That flag from the beginning, it's been, it was the flag of a, of a slave state, it was the flag of pro-slave terrorism. It was the flag of Jim Crow. It was the flag of segregation. And now it's the flag of pathetic white people who cling to some desperate hope that they're slightly better than somebody else out there. You know, it, I, I've, no I've, matter I've seen what point you take it, no matter how far back you go in that flag's history, 
there's always been a racist element. There's always been uh, uh, white supremacy at its core. All of the other stuff associated with it is secondary. It's stuff that people have attached to it because they've got this romantic view of the South's actions during the Civil War. But that's simply revisionist history. What? I want to bring this. this I, I, I want to bring this question to to our entire audience, to to Pastor Axum and Mark Brown. Some people have said they just keep using this argument. Well, it's a part of our history. Well, it's just a part of our heritage. And to me, I think, as you said, Jason, and articulated so very well, that some people still have the romantic infatuation with the days of antebellum South that they still have this infatuation with the whole concept of America before, you know, America before reconstruction took place back in the 1850s, 40s. And let's let's put this let's put everything out on the table that during this time slavery is a horrible, disgusting aspect of our nation and should not but it should not be ignored. And some people say that the symbol of the Confederate flag, and I've seen this argument being made, that the symbol of the Confederate, the Confederate flag flying is also a symbol that we cannot go back to our nation's history. But my argument to that is, well, we have to get rid of it. Uh, I mean, for goodness sakes, the South lost the war. Let's take down the damn flag. What do you say, Pastor Raksum? Pastor Axum, are you still there? I'm sorry, I was talking. I had I had myself on mute. I apologize for that. Oh no, uh, no, no, it's I, fine. <laughs> I, I I believe that we can look at uh, at Germany's uh, treatment of of the swastika. Uh, of course, the swastika being the symbol of uh, the Nazi Party, the fascist movement uh, in Europe. Their treatment uh, towards that symbol following the days uh, of the war uh, as being uh, sort of, I don't want to say a prototype of how uh, a symbol should be treated uh, when it, it is uh, the, the source of pain to so many people, but certainly it's uh, worth us looking into um, how it was banned from many places, and, and even today uh, it's, seen, it's seen as a as a dark spot, a, a, a smudge uh, on, that, on that country's existence. Well, that's not something we experience in America, I believe, uh, that um, Abraham Lincoln and his uh, haste to bring the country back together, uh, he never uh, brought many of the people uh, who uh, pushed the Confederacy uh, separatism across the South and even um, uh, close to northern states. They were never brought to justice in the president's haste to really bring the country back together uh, and pardoning many individuals. Uh, so we never saw that here in America. Perhaps that's why um, the Confederate flag was able to uh, survive decade after decade and really um, receive a resurgence, a resurgence in uh, these later years uh, because it was never seen as a, uh, a spot of shame um, for, for, for really what happened here uh, uh, in our country. Uh, but but, but I, I, I applaud. I applaud what's, what's going on. I hope that it leads to something deeper, uh, searching of the heart of an entire country. Um, but I, I also think about states like like Texas, uh, the capital city of Austin there with the Capitol building, uh, standing right in front of their Capitol building is a monument to Jefferson Davis uh, and, 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 a, and a huge write-up of, of the awesome leader that he, that he was. And, and, and it, really, it really goes into detail. Uh, with that state's appreciation uh, for what Jefferson Davis did uh, for states' rights. So does that also uh, become a a contentious uh, point? And is that also removed? Um, I think those are questions that we're going to have to ask ourselves in these these upcoming weeks and months. Ah, You you bring up a very salient point, Pastor, and I'm going to shift over to Mark Brown, and then I'm going to go to Jason. And Mark, today I had authored a blog piece, um, and it was regarding uh, Jolene Ivey. And Jolene Ivey, she is a former Democratic Maryland State delegate. 
and and she represented the 47th legislative district in the House of Delegates um, for quite some time until 2014. And she was actually the lieutenant governor's uh, candidate on Doug Gandler's uh, ticket last year. And of course, they uh, came up short in the primary, and Anthony Brown had won that and then went on to lose to uh, Larry Hogan. But nonetheless, um, she argued that uh, she posted this on her Facebook page, and um, uh, Jolene Ivy is um, she is mixed race, so I believe her fa- she is uh, part African American as well. She's arguing that Roger um, Chief Justice uh, Roger Taney, uh, who sits down, um, sits his statue sits at the Maryland State House on Lawyers Mall, should be removed. Uh, and as we all know, Tawney, he is remembered decisively in American history for delivering the majority opinion in the Dred Scott versus Sanford case in 1857 that it ruled that, among other things, that African Americans, they've been considered inferior at the time that the Constitution was drafted and they were not part of the original community of citizens. And whether free or slave, they could not be considered citizens of the United States, which created and it created an uproar among abolitionists and the free states of the northern United States. So this is a former Maryland state delegate, a former lieutenant gubernatorial candidate, who is calling that for the Roger Taney statue at the Maryland State House to be removed. Now, with the with with alongside the Confederate flag, do you think that these types of um these statues, is this going to be a piggyback motion now? Is it going to be something else that occurs where we're going to start removing these these statues and monuments of people that uh, represented uh, a, a a negative portion of our American history like the Dred Scott decision um, or figures of the South like Jefferson Davis? Do you think that that's going to now be a snowball effect? And Mark, do you want to answer that? I think these um, these officials, uh, political officials, have been elected uh, to represent uh, the people of their districts, and and the the proceedings that are held for these discussions are are supposed to establish the tone, the political tone for for the state or for the uh, you know jurisdictions that they they function within. And, and therefore, I think that they, there needs to be, these forums need to be held. These questions should be raised. But what, what should happen is that the, 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 the politicians in place, uh, these people put in place to represent the people, should, should determine uh, what, should, uh, should, what, what tone should be established, uh, what is the, the foundational principles upon which this state will exist. And and uh, a conclusion will be reached in in the proper form in the, with the proper discussions. I think uh, these representatives have the right to bring these issues forward, and and they should be discussed. Uh, I may be idealistic uh, in in thinking that uh, they will all come to some uh, sane agreement and and shake hands and and walk into the sunset. But I do think these discussions these the should be held in these proper forms. And that that the the uh, the the tone that they established should represent the people of the state, and so uh, it, it may be a snowball effect. But I, I still think that wherever citizens are being offended by what is in place or is done should be addressed, and and uh, these forums are created for those for those discussions. Yeah, I, I I think so, and whether we agree or disagree. On that, I think that there's going to be these important conversations that are going to be taking place all throughout state houses, all throughout many of the different uh, states in the South, about how do we address these issues brought on by this tragedy, this tragedy that ended up with nine African Americans who were shot dead in cold blood. And now that we are having a funeral, these the funerals are going to be taking place and I and I and I read that President Obama will be delivering the uh, the funeral or the eulogy uh, for uh, the the pastor who was shot and killed. Um, I want to talk about this moving forward. And when President Obama was first elected, we understood that that he that he was committed to 
committing this nation to becoming a post-racial nation where race would no longer be a factor. Do you think race relations have worsened in the last eight years uh, and take into account everything that has happened, including you know, from issues with the police, with African Americans, like we discussed, Mark and Pastor Exum, the Baltimore City issue, and uh, we'll talk. You know, the Mike Brown situations, Trayvon Martin, and now this issue. Have race relations gotten better or worse uh, in the last, you know, since, you know, in twenty years? What say you, uh, Pastor Exum? Um, my personal feelings as living in Baltimore City and uh, witnessing what we've witnessed uh, the past few months um, is is that race relations have not gotten better, that things have taken a, a step back. And um, that's, that's not always a bad thing. I, I believe that sometimes you have to take a step back in order to move forward. And there are some things that are being, some demons that are being exercised uh, right now uh, some 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 skeletons that are falling out the closet uh, that we have kept hidden for so long that we thought that they were gone, but we we're, we're only realizing now that these things were alive, that they're alive and, and and well because we never dealt with them. They were just put off and and pushed to the side, and now they're they're really coming come, coming out. Uh, there there were a lot of individuals that were okay with an African American being. Uh, the the mayor of a city. They were okay uh, with some states being uh, headed up, uh, or they could tolerate some states uh, having black governors. Uh, but having an African American, a uh, person of color, as the head of of, of the free world, so to speak, uh, has really angered a lot of individuals, and not just for one term, for two terms. Uh, that is really. Uh, uh, angered some people, and this brought some things to the surface. Some things are being pulled up uh, uh, that we that we that we have not uh, dealt with, and now we're fo- we're forced to deal with it. So I I, I believe, um, as an American, as an American, I believe that we could be better uh, uh, because uh, because of this. Um, unfortunately, as a pastor, I don't put a lot of of, of faith and trust. And the and the history of man's ability uh, to overcome our own problems, but as an American, I believe that this is something that could um, can be dealt with. I'm with you because I think we're all in this. We are all Americans. We're all in this together, and we truly want to transcend this racial tension that we have in this country and move past this. I I think that um, Mark Brown. I I I I think that the cultural work though happens within our churches. I think it starts to take place where uh, we are guided by faith and we are guided by uh, the church's word to do unto others as we do unto ourselves. But I I think that you you go into Maryland and you go into some of these African-American churches and I feel, and I've I've been to a few, and I I feel like that they have so much faith and they have so much um, conviction that and and I believe that they have that that these churches are the ground the ground game for improving this culture not only in Maryland but around the country and I see that you know you watch what happened in the aftermath and you see the the, the family members which was highly unusual for them to be to make a victim impact statement but that's for another entire show uh, during. Uh, when 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 the, the young man was being arraigned, and you had the 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 one woman say, "I forgive you." You've hurt a lot of people, but I forgive you. I mean, to me, that was unbelievably powerful. That even though in the in the darkest of days of tragedy, that they rose above this and said, "I forgive you for what you have done." Mark Brown, was that powerful? It, it absolutely was, um, and and it makes you uh, observing something like that makes you search who you really are. Uh, what 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 do you really believe in uh, from from a personal uh, human nature perspective? Um, I, I, what what happens in a in a in a religious setting 
it it is built around uh us taking a good honest look at ourselves and in doing that you realize that but for the grace of god uh that there go i i mean with, without a spiritual uh anchor um man is capable of doing anything and and i think that it's the understanding of that 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 makes us know that uh those who who are suffering with uh, uh uh what we may call a sin problem that the answer is found in in Christ and so no matter how deep you may sink or how what what the the depth of depra- depravity may be that we still all come to the same solution and and that is what uh keeps us hopeful uh forgiving um uh, uh, repentant because we know that uh, sin is sin and and though his uh, display uh, may boggle our minds but it still comes from the same root and it still needs the same answer and that's Christ amen. Jesus Amen J- Jason Bouvier. Uh Jason real quick uh, you you're an you're a blogger as well and I want to and if you want to go ahead give a quick plug for where you blog and where we can read your materials. The easiest way to find it is to just Google the Dark Tech Observer. That's T-E-C-H, tech-like technology. It's just a name. It's supposed to stick. Or you could (laughs) follow me on Twitter. It's Dark Tech Monitor. Monitor because Observer wouldn't fit. Right. And I wanted to ask you as well, Jason, your thoughts on us living in a post-racial society. Has race relations gotten worse or they have gotten better in, let's just say, the last 20 years? Unfortunately, I think we were I think we were making uh real progress uh not moving beyond race or moving past race or however you want to phrase it, but just you know, putting race on the same level as hair color. You know, well he's he's a five foot tall, eight inch black guy with dark hair. You know, just just that. You know, it, 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 it's it. We were coming to the point, I think, although it's only my own experience, so it's somewhat limited in that respect. But I think we were coming to the point where it was simply incidental, where it wasn't, where it wasn't a major factor. But unfortunately, this president has had something of a habit of uh, uh, making things racial. I remember there was a there was a college professor who had locked himself out of his house. So Henry he Lewis Gates. Down Yes, he was breaking down his front door, and the police officer came and asked him for his identification, made sure he lived there, make sure he wasn't some other guy breaking into his house. And the professor got all outraged, and President Obama said it was a stupid thing for the police to do. But, you know, if I'm kicking in my front door, I'd I'd like to know that the neighbors and the police are like, uh, just hold on a second. Well, we have we have about a minute. Uh, we have about a minute and thirty left. And Pastor Exum, what what's next? What do you believe will happen with the country as we try to heal from this tragedy? Well, this is a this is an opportunity for us to rally uh, one another. Um, a, a beautiful photo was sent out uh, via Twitter and a lot of other. Uh, major news outlets uh, that show the services uh, that have been happening there in South Carolina, that that congregation in Charleston, of people of all races, of all walks of life coming together to worship. Uh, This is an opportunity for us to do this uh, across the country, in Baltimore and Montgomery County and uh, Prince George's County, all over Maryland, uh, for us to be intentional about reaching out to one another uh, so that we can we can begin to move past this tragedy and be better as a people. I agree. We have to be better as a people. We have to we have to talk openly and honestly about these issues and I think that this show uh provides at least a forum to have this discussion. Gentlemen, I want to thank you for coming on the show, for being available, making yourselves available to talk about these tough issues. I invite you back anytime. Jason, thanks so much for calling in. Have a great night. God bless you. And this has been another episode of Minor Detail. Good night.